everybody. Welcome to Enterprise Radio, the best time of the month. We're your hosts, Kelly Mack and Kira Colburn. And for those of you who don't know us yet, Workbench is an early stage venture capital firm based in New York City, and we are obsessed with all things enterprise go to market. And if you're tuning in to Enterprise Radio for the first time, you'll be hearing the latest and greatest enterprise tech news beyond our Enterprise Weekly newsletter, which we send out every Friday. We'll try to boil it down to the top things you need to know this month and along the way, bring in some special guests. I mean, it's been a crazy month this April for enterprise tech, but also for humanity. So we have a ton to celebrate and a ton to be thankful for. As a nation, we watched as a guilty verdict was delivered in the George Floyd murder. Um, We saw so many companies step up for Earth Day. And on a very personal level, I got my second vaccination shot yesterday. So I have mild fever right now, but we're working through it. Yeah, you might say something crazy on this podcast is what you're saying. (laughs) A little delusional, but also some some other things, Coinbase IPO, Basecamp drama, new mask guidances, and so much more that we won't talk about today because we know you're all here for the enterprise action. So Kelly, I think you can get into that. All right. So top of everyone's mind lately has most likely been UiPath and the rise of RPA. Today, we're excited to host Elise Granda, Director of Digital Automation for CIT. Elizabeth originally joined us back in August for our State of Automation webinar. So if you haven't seen or listened to that yet, you can actually check that out on our YouTube channel. Highly, highly recommend for you guys to subscribe and smash that like button. And we're super excited to see how our thoughts around automation may have evolved since then and dive into how enterprises are thinking through RPA. Hello, Elise. For the audience members, could you just share a little bit about yourself? I'm the director of digital automation at CIT. I started out with my MBA in information systems. I started at PEGA and have been involved in automation or process management automation my whole career. I spent 14 years at City in treasury and trade solutions. And now I'm at CIT and it's been an incredible journey. My first job was Uh, doing the technical production for TV shows at World Championship Wrestling. So I've come a long way in my journey. (laughs) Wow. I I love wrestling. Well, I like talking about it. I don't watch it enough, but maybe next next podcast we should we should talk (laughs) about your WCW days. (laughs) It was all to the technology and TV chiropractic. Oh got it. So you didn't have to be a fan in order to do it. Oh no. (laughs) No. Well, that, that's awesome. Again, thanks for joining us here today. The big topic, robotic process automation. UiPath just made its public market debut, raising $1.34 billion at a $35.8 billion market cap. Uh, now the company sits among enterprise titans, Snowflake and Qualtrics as one of the largest software IPOs in US history. This is due in part to investors seeing the potential in the market, which has grown considerably over the past few years with estimates of that broader process automation market being worth as much as $74 billion in 2021. So Elise, as a practitioner, why is RPA so exciting? It's been the evolution of RPA that makes where we are so exciting. It started out with just being able to tackle 
mundane tasks or repetitive actions. And when you look at it in hindsight, the probably weren't value added business processes. You were you were providing productivity gains or things like that, but you weren't moving your business strategy forward. When you look at the investment now that we're seeing, the investment in AI um, and machine learning specifically, training a robot, but then having that robot intelligently repair itself or increase its its knowledge that's where you really start seeing excitement in the market got it and exactly as you just said process and workflow automation these aren't new concepts they've been around for a while there are a lot of companies like ibm sap ServiceNow, pega which you used to work at that have been doing this for a while but there's even more investment lately when you think of UiPath Automation Anywhere in Blue Prism, what do you think that they're doing well that makes them considered leaders in this case? I think it's the ability to kind of move the conversation towards more complex problems such as deductive analytics or predictive analytics and really changing the conversation of creating business value in just through the automation. Can this provide you something more than you had before? And I think that that's what you're seeing with the investments in the AI and the process and really being able to go end to end with a process as opposed to a task driven solution. Got it. It's that end to end approach that ends up providing that immense value. Yes, absolutely. So it's driving that value even further. Peg had already integrated the AI and the robots in their complete package for customer service. And now they're doubling down in that strategy by moving to voice to text. So what you're really seeing is the different approaches to how that people can either manage the channels end to end or manage the processes end to end. But the most impressed I've been in a demo in years, about a year and a half ago, I was sitting in a PEGA demo for collections. And at the very end, they started to branch into their decision hub and their um, AI pieces. And they said, what if we were able to predict a customer before they hit collections? What if we could predict that they were heading that way and give you the opportunity to turn that story around or change that customer journey? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's their strategy. Got it. And would love to hear from you, what are some examples within the enterprise, within CIT of how functional areas are being transformed by RPA or process automation? So one of the things that I think that is um, really a good practice that we have at CIT is we actually have an automation committee or group that we meet once a week to talk about automation opportunities. Understanding your overall strategy, understanding the tools that you have, I think is really important to have a successful robotics practice in any organization. So RPA scratches an itch now, but we're starting to hear from corporate executives that RPA itself has limitations and we're seeing a need for 
as you were mentioning earlier, more intelligent vertical focus solutions that leverage AI more. And so at least in your opinion, what are the biggest gaps or challenges that you see the market facing today? And what types of solutions are you looking forward to in the future? So I think it goes back to having the right toolkit and knowing what you need and how to apply that. What are the right places to do it? The problem set's still the same. And, and it's learning what the capabilities are and where you want to use them and, and what makes sense to bring that together, I think is still the same challenge that it's ever been. And the last question I had was low code, no code, very big buzzword in the ecosystem right now. And as you think about your own users at CIT, how do you think of leveraging low code, no code tools to provide better you know, productivity and efficiency for, for those different users? Low code, no code, I think is one of those definition. Everybody has a very different definition of it. I've worked with PEGA for years and it is a low code in some versions, maybe no code kind of marketing that goes with it. Mm-hmm. But you still need to have people who are using it that have a fundamental understanding of technology. You are going to run into challenges if you're talking about an RPA, you'll have their own VM to run around and do different processes that aren't really kind of controlled. So I think that there and some of the you know peer groups, we've had this discussion of the balance between opening it up for more than just a set group of developers, but then understanding how that performs in your environment. And and so in that low code, no code world, Mm -hmm. you don't want to add to your overhead while you're doing that. So I think it's going to be a balance. And I think that's something that's going to come out over time. That's a great point to what you said earlier. It's a buzzword that lacks a, a formal definition. And then if you take the definition of democratizing access, then you get a new problem around governance, which is something that I'd imagine not a lot of organizations are ready to handle just yet. Well, thank you, Elise, for your time. It's always great getting the practitioner point of view. And before we end, anything that you want to give a shout out to for our listeners? It can be anything. Oh, thank you. I think what I'll do is uh, a couple pieces of advice. I would say I'm always interested in learning about new technologies and new takes. Um, If you're just flooding us with your marketing mails, probably not going to get that look that you're looking for. Make sure that if you're sending something that it it has something to offer me other than your marketing. (laughs) That would be number one. I love that advice. Um, for those out there, if you're trying to get in touch with Elise, be be wise about how you do that outreach. That's for anybody. If you've invested into getting me to look at it, I probably will. Definitely. Elise, thank you so much again. Stay well. And yeah, chat, uh, chat soon. Thank you. Next up on our docket, regulation and legal battles fought hard against big tech this month. So Kelly, can you tell us about some of the recent EU AI regulation? Yeah, earlier this month, EU regulators unveiled new legislation to increase regulatory oversight and set out higher data quality standards for the use of AI in designated quote unquote, high risk areas. These include 
critical infrastructure, college admissions, loan applications, and non-compliance could carry fines of up to 6% of global annual turnover, which might sound similar to GDPR, which came into effect not so long ago, that also carried fines of up to 4% of global annual turnover. So this one seems a little bit higher. And while the regulation intends to build more public trust in AI and spur innovation, much like GDPR has, tech leaders across the world are speaking out against it. And these concerns mostly revolve around increased costs, headaches that tech companies or really companies of all sizes will face when building and implementing AI in Europe, which could potentially hamper its development and force companies to move abroad. Most are also lobbying that they already build AI ethically, which, you know, yet to see, and don't think that regulation is needed. This sounds like a problem that our portfolio company, Arthur, is really digging into. Yes, actually, ethical AI, transparency, explainable AI has been a, a really, really big topic. And I, for one, believe in the uh, need for us to you know, build more ethical AI systems. And as more and more regulations come down the pipeline, executives are on high alert for faulty AI, feeding the demand for these types of monitoring tools like our portfolio company, Arthur, to bring transparency, to bring better understanding to how AI operates. Now on to the next thing in the legal arena is what happened with the Supreme Court versus Google? So the Supreme Court handed Google a big, big victory over Oracle. Uh, it's been a decade long battle. And what happened is that they ruled it legal for Google, in this case, to copy and reuse pieces of code from Java in its Android operating system. I mean, who would have ever thought that a win for Google, like we'd all be rooting for Google to win in some sort of battle like this, but here we are. And a win for Google, it seems like the sentiment was, you know, a win for Google is really a win for open source and the tech industry as a whole. And I mean, people are even saying like a win for innovation itself. Yeah, while the Supreme Court's decision demonstrates the fundamental need for collaboration in the open source community, which is the whole intent of open source, right? Getting a lot of folks involved, better oversight, better um, contributions. A big trend in the venture industry, even for us ourselves as Workbench, has been the commercialization of popular open source projects, where investors in companies like Tilt, Cockroach Labs, previously investors in CoreOS. So we see that there's a ton of value in open source and think that the main challenge down the road for a lot of these commercial open source companies will be figuring out how they can create enough value to build a lasting company that isn't subsumed when a larger cloud player like Amazon or Microsoft creates it. And that differentiation is really the big, big item here. I actually was paying really close attention to was the Amazon warehouse workers who tried to unionize in Alabama. So they actually ended up losing the vote. I think this was more like early April. Jeff Bezos actually sent out a letter to his board. And just a reminder, in case anyone forgot this, he's actually giving up his CEO status in the fall. But he wrote a letter to the board saying, you know, even though this was a win for Amazon, you know, is it really a win to have all of your employees this unhappy. Do we believe any change will happen? Um, actually, I think it was yesterday, they actually said that they're going to raise the minimum wage for Amazon workers. So it seems like good things actually are happening there, which almost never occurs, but yeah, good for Amazon. Good to, definitely good to see workers' rights being uh, looked at more. 
I, I know that all of these big tech companies are, are mired in different types of workplace controversies. So this, this seems like could be a win. And for our audience, I know you, you all like numbers. You all like to know, well, how big is IT? Well, Gartner this month reported that the annual global IT spending is predicted to uh, increase in spend to $4.1 trillion this year. And that's 8.4% more than the last year. So lots of money in IT, lots of money in technology as a whole, and can't wait to see what else uh, comes of it. That is quite a lot of money in IT. Good, good place to be for 2021. Oh, for sure. So anyway, that is a wrap for our sixth episode of Enterprise Radio. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And our next episode, as always, will come out at the end of the next month. So uh, tune in at the end of May and please share with all of your enterprise techie friends and feel free to reach out to either Kelly or myself. We love getting comments, questions, feedback, you name it, please send it to us. And the other ask I'd put out there is, if you're interested in hearing from a, a special person on this on this channel, let us know. We're happy to uh, have them on here. So love any ideas that, that you all have. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Kira, feel better. Thank you. I'll try. <laughs>